0: Welcome to Self-Security Chat Chat, episode 193, for the 8th of April, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Hello. Uh, you know, uh, since the last podcast, I didn't really mention it, but I, I, I probably should have. I uh, was going back and looking through the numbers. I had done some war biking when I was in uh, Ljubljana when we did the podcast two weeks ago. And one of the more interesting things that came out of that was that Libyana has uh, arguably the most secure Wi-Fi of any city we've ever surveyed. Oh dear. So uh, nothing for free, eh? <laughs> well, actually, there's there's citywide free Wi-Fi provided by, uh, by the city of Libyana. But when it comes to protected uh, access points, uh, only 1.5% were running WEP, which is less than half of any other city that I've measured. Uh, including the previous most secure cities of Portland and Vancouver, which each had around three percent web. So uh, hats off to to Slovenia. Maybe there are just fewer hackers running web to see what people will do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that that could be the case. Uh, it, it's it's impossible to tell by just the numbers, but it, it was rather interesting to uh, to note. It is good news though
1: that that percentage is going down and is now really tiny, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I always rate WEP as worse than open, because I figure if you're open, you made a conscious choice to make it open. You may not understand all the implications of being open, but you chose it intentionally. Whereas when you chose WEP, you chose to be secure and just didn't realize the option you chose doesn't make you secure.
1: Indeed. It's that P for privacy in WEP sounds really, really good. It sounds even
0: better than security. In fact, it's neither. Well, and... Back to the security and privacy aspect of things. Um, new Firefox came out a couple of weeks ago, Firefox 37, and the big change um, under the hood that I guess would be invisible to most Firefox users was the introduction of HTTP 2. Notice I'm not saying 2.0 or anything. Uh, the the official designation I believe is HTTP slash 2. I believe it is. It's largely focused on privacy and performance. I would say so. For Google Chrome users, you may have heard of something a year or two ago called Speedy or SPDY that was designed to accelerate uh, downloading web pages by reusing TCP connections and and trying to just kind of even out the flow of things. A lot of lessons learned from SPDY are integrated in the HTTP2 standard, and um, it also has something called an alt service tag that's gone slightly wrong in this early implementation in Firefox, resulting in... Firefox 37.0.1 being released to fix it. If we're a Firefox user and we haven't updated, what does this put us at risk for?
1: Well, Chester, the the idea of this alternative services header is that it deals, amongst other things, with all sorts of uh, HTTP redirections, or what you'd have to do in the old days via various redirections. And you can do all of that in one go, as it were, cacheably with this alternative services or alt-svc header. The problem is, turns out that in the implementation in Firefox, which is of course brand new, there was a bug that meant that if you used one of these headers on the server to move someone to another server, and you then set them up to do an encrypted connection, you could under some circumstances use any certificate you liked, and if there was a certificate error, e.g. it was self-signed, not validated by a certification authority, then firefox would pass it and of course that's absolute gold dust to a fisher so well done to firefox this bug was spotted and fixed very very quickly within a couple of days uh now it sort of sounds as though it doesn't matter because most servers aren't using http2 at least not in production because it's not actually finished yet the standard isn't out however Almost all mainstream web servers, and that includes Apache, Nginx, and Microsoft IIS, support HTTP2. So, for a crook, it's easy enough to set up an HTTP2 server and perhaps expose brand new code in browsers that hasn't been tested as much as the old HTTP1.1 client code. uh, Expose that code to potential danger. Bottom line, if you're a Firefox user, make sure you have 37.0.1.
0: This is probably not the only vulnerability we're going to see related to a wide scope new standard like HTTP2. There's a lot of moving parts. As usual, I guess the best practice is just to keep taking those updates as quickly as they come down. And in this case, I, I just went it right away and made sure that my Firefox restarted with the new version, right?
1: Yes. If you go to, I think it's preferences, advanced update, then there's a button that you can click that says in Firefox, show update history and it's very handy because you can make sure not only that you that you have the latest version but that also you got it when you thought you did uh it's worth checking that every now and then even if you're using fully automatic updates
0: um youtube now uh this felt like a little bit of deja vu except it was google instead of facebook and that there was a flaw that allowed anybody to potentially delete anyone else's videos that was discovered by a uh, a, a bounty hunting researcher Considering how many employees have left Google for Facebook, maybe the same people coded the Facebook photo delete bug that coded the Google bug in YouTube and had just <laughs> moved on to newer pastures. I'm not sure. I hadn't thought of it that way, but it's very, very
1: similar, isn't it? My understanding is, as long as you've logged in and you have a security token that would let you delete some videos, in theory, you could have deleted any video. Uh, so you're right; it is déjà vu all over again.
0: Yeah, and this this one was interesting to me, I guess, from a couple points in particular, which was the, the funding for the bug researcher. So in January, Google announced that they were going to offer some, some vulnerability research grants, in essence, instead of having a traditional bug bounty program where you discover a flaw like this in YouTube, you responsibly submit it, and then Google assesses it and says, oh, that's worth $1,337 in our bug bounty program, you know, expect a check at the end of the month kind of thing. Google started a new program where they seemed to be inviting top-tier researchers to apply to a program where they could get money ahead of time, uh, seemingly to put them on retainer for Google to say, we expect you're going to find flaws in our stuff because you're really good, you can apply for some money from us, we'll pay you ahead, and then expect that you'll responsibly report some bugs in the, in the assets that we want investigated, like Gmail or YouTube or these types of things. And that this is the first payout I've heard of through that program. Uh, is this a bit of a an endorsement saying that this is a good idea, that companies can, can say, hey, you're finding lots of interesting bugs in my products. Let me give you some money up front and have you focus a little more on, on my products to help me make them better. It sort of feels that way,
1: doesn't it, Chester? Although, to be fair, we have a sort of a, a sample size where N equals one at the moment. I think what it does say is that this guy, as I understand it, got five grand up front. And it uh, looks like Google picked the right guy, is all I could say.
0: Yeah, I guess the advantage for companies like Google is that they get to say, we want you to focus on our stuff instead of looking at also participating in LinkedIn and Facebook's bug bounty programs. You know, maybe if we, instead of you splitting your time wherever you think you're going to make the most money, we can maybe show a little commitment and make sure you spend extra time on our stuff because we really, we really want to make sure we improve our security.
1: Well, as Charlie Miller said, what was it, two, three years ago, no more free bugs. I suppose that's fair enough. Uh, Google's deal, uh, it's not exclusive, is it? I mean, you can still find bugs in other people's products. So I guess if you're good at it, you'll probably augment your income from other sources. What surprised me about this a lot, Chester, is that you would have thought after that Facebook thing, which kind of looks almost the same, doesn't it, that someone at Google would have said, you know... Maybe we should try that Facebook photo thing on our video
0: service and see what happens. True enough. Now, there was another story that we covered on Naked Security related to mobile tracking, which I guess tangentially involves Android. Uh, which is this idea that you're being tracked over 5,000 times a day, depending on your application mix, if you've said okay to all these things that prompt you and say, hey, this app would like access to your location information. You know, is it okay to share that? Now, uh, my reaction initially was, well, this may not be a typical user situation. I mean, 5,000 a day kind of depends upon the types of apps you may choose to install. For example, on my device, I don't use Foursquare. I don't use Facebook. I don't have location enabled on Twitter. Are you serious, Chester? <laughs> you don't use Foursquare? No. I mean, in fact, I, te- I tell everyone where I'm at on the podcast. Yeah, but that's, oh, I'm in Slovenia.
1: That's no good. You need to know where you can meet cool new people.
0: They need to know which street corner you're on, Chester. But, uh, well, so I guess that's the question. So this 5,000, is it—is it a scare tactic? Or is it true that maybe a more typical user who's less conscious of how this information may be used or abused when it's shared actually is being checked up on 5,000 times a day? The wording could have, at least in the app they used that warned you about what was happening with
1: your location data, the wording could have been a bit clearer because it talks about your location has been shared so many times. To me, it implies that an app's read in that data and then sent it out into the cloud either back to its own service or distributed to some other third party service, so somebody else somewhere else knows where you are um but I think what they meant is that your location's been requested by an app that you've approved to access location services, and there's no granularity for that on Android, of course, that many times in a day.
0: well I think a lot of people are lured by some of the benefits other than meeting your friends uh when you're out and about and You know, we know that, for example, Google seems to track location data of Google Maps and navigation users to show traffic congestion, and people really benefit from that. They can look at a Google Map and say, oh, wow, look, you know, uh, this particular street is super busy today uh, because there's a car accident and this other one's not. And and some of that, of course, comes from public databases, but a lot of it seems to come from sensor data of Android users and, and how quickly they're moving in their cars. And I guess that's the question that is difficult to answer with a lot of these apps, You know, the Sophos app asks you for location information, not because Sophos actually cares where you're at, but if you lose your phone and you want us to identify where it's located and maybe remotely erase it, but depending on where you may have lost it, we need to be able to have that location information to be able to show you on a map where you may have lost your phone. Indeed. And
1: of course, the problem is that we can only ask, at least on Android, up front. You then have to decide, do I trust Sophos to read that data? know where i am but only to report it and make use of that data when it's actually important like when i say hey i need to know where my phone is because i've lost it as you say it's very difficult to know when an app is doing the right thing with that location data so it's a thorny problem that you've got to you've got to give the rights in case the app needs it in future and then hope that when it does read the data and finds it needs to act upon it that it does so
0: responsibly I guess what the real issue here is, it's, it's the same debate we always have whenever privacy comes up, which is privacy is a currency ultimately, right? Okay, so I'm trading my location information for what? In the case of Sophos, you're trading it to be able to identify where you lost your phone. In the case of Google Maps, you're trading it for this free navigation utility that's got all these extra layers. But when you're saying yes to Facebook or Foursquare or Twitter, what, what is the trade-off there? Oh, you're, you're allowing someone to, to identify where you took a selfie. Each one of those cases needs to be taken independently as to, is this a fair trade of my location data? Now, uh, around the time we recorded the previous podcast was April Fool's Day. I, I believe uh, we actually recorded the day before. Yes, it was World Backup Day, if you remember. Right. I, I In fact, I did backups uh, this weekend as a result of us talking about that. Excellent. Uh, you assembled some very amusing uh, spams, which we all—it's <laughs> impossible to do one of these stories without the dumb criminal aspect. You've included a, an assortment of them. I, I think my my favorite is the the first one because of the uh, the gratuitous reference to Lady Gaga. Yes, I
1: like that. It, just a paragraph. What what I do not realize is, if truth be told, how you are not actually much more neatly liked than you might be right now. You are so intelligent. Well, you know, some of that I I accept wholeheartedly, but the rest, I, I read that paragraph, the whole that whole spam, several times, and I kept thinking, you know, I'm about to understand this, and uh, no matter how many times I read it, it never actually made sense, and I don't know whether that was the idea. It certainly drew me in, um, but it did not make me want to buy the product that the person was offering, which was... Uh, Shonky PSN
0: credentials, (laughs) stolen logins for the PlayStation Network. Oh, dear. Well, to look at this from a a security perspective, I mean, these seem to all be designed to uh, perform some sort of a search engine optimization, right? The idea is to get lots and lots of blog sites like Naked Security that are very popular to lend a little bit of their uh, social goodwill to a link that's promoting some sort of spammy item, right? As that one that I couldn't understand, it ends by saying, your own stuff is
1: excellent. At all times, take care of it up. (laughs) So I suppose they're thinking you'll go, well, I couldn't agree more. I will definitely take care of it up. Click approved. It didn't work with naked security. So I don't think that here, if a spammer is listening, that's going to persuade them to stop trying. But uh, it didn't work.
0: On that note, I'll conclude Self Security Chat Chat 193. I'd like to remind everyone that uh, in about a week and a half, many of us from Sophos will be at the RSA conference at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. And if you are able to attend uh, and come by and say hello, we will be right at the front of the sponsor hall. We would love to see you. And if you're not a paid attendee, we do have some free passes, I think, to come into the exhibitor areas. Yes, if all you need to do is go to the RSA, go to the RSA
1: conference website, uh, go to where you'd sign up for an expo pass, and where it asks for the uh, special code, put in X-Ray 5 Sierra Sophos, and you will get a free pass, free day pass on us,
0: starting on the 20th of April, if I'm not wrong. That is correct. And on that note, uh, for all the latest security news, you can visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes, the the TuneIn app, via RSS from our website, or over at soundcloud.com slash Until next time, stay secure.